Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod, heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. That song we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is so pertinent for the message this morning. I didn't realize it the first service, but now, I, now I'm really realizing it. It's interesting in that song how it talks about um, it's coming to Israel who's in exile. That's an interesting detail in the song. Let's see how that plays out here this morning. Let me begin, though, by praying. Father, thank you that you have brought us together. Your body, the body of your son, King Jesus. Father, I pray that you would fill this body with your spirit, with your power, with your life and light. 
I pray that you would enlighten our minds and stir up our hearts in such a way that we would worship you with thanksgiving and praise. I pray that you would speak to us now through these spirit-wrought words that we are about to read and explore together. And I pray that you'd be glorified in it all. We pray this in King Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, as you know, we've been going through Matthew as a church. John has been leading us through that. And this fall, I've kind of come around again and focused on the Matthew's use of his Bible. His Bible we call the Old Testament. So when he wanted to tell us who Jesus was, he used his Bible to do that. And so we're kind of exploring a little bit more in detail how Matthew is using his Bible to tell us who Jesus is. In this passage this morning, sometimes, sometimes we get so familiar with something that we start to kind of glaze over it. Even though we may love it, we just kind of glaze over what's happening, some of the details, some of the finer points that may allow a, this a passage to, to really be a received in fullness. And I think, that is there a more popular story than Jesus' birth, the nativity story? Even if you've never been to church, is that me here? It's probably my beard. Sorry, it's gotten a little long. <laughs> Tell that to Rebecca. <laughs> anyway, even if you've never been to church before, you probably have heard the nativity story, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And you might have heard that, he, that these names that he's given in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel and Jesus. Well, let me start by kind of recapping where we were, where we've been so far this fall in this series that I'm doing. We started with Matthew 1.1, which was that Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we unpacked that, and we saw that by Matthew telling us in the first sentence of the New Testament, he's just packed it with theological riches. The son of David, we, 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 we saw that that, re, that tells us that Jesus is an everlasting king because the covenant that David received was that a son would come who would be an everlasting king. And then we saw that he's the son of Abraham. And we saw that Abraham is actually the response to the Babel story where all the families of the earth, having been exiled out of the garden, they've multiplied and they've come together against God, and God has scattered and confused all the families of the earth all over the world. And Abraham is the means by which those families are going to be drawn back together into God's presence again. Somehow, some way, that's going to happen through Abraham's seed. And that's why we have the whole rest of the Old Testament. We're, fight, we're trying to figure out how are all the nations, all the families of the earth going to be drawn back into God's presence for blessing. Matthew says, Jesus, that's the son of Abraham. And he's an everlasting king. He's the son of David. So right here, an everlasting king with an everlasting global family. 
This is who Jesus is, Matthew 1.1. Then we looked at the genealogy in Matthew 2 through 17. I'm sorry, Matthew 1, 2 through 17. And we saw that by putting this genealogy here, Matthew is stitching his narrative onto the narrative of the Old Testament, onto his Bible. And he's retelling the story of the Bible through this genealogy. He takes us all the way up to a people who are left in exile. And that made me think of the song this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right, to Israel who is in exile. They're still in exile. They've wandered into the land. A small portion of them have wandered in, back into the land through uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. You can read about that. It's only a small portion of the people come back into the land. And now it's been hundreds of years and they're waiting. They're waiting. When is God, when is Yahweh going to return and end this exile? So Matthew's got some good news for us. The exile ends in this everlasting king. And it's not just the exile of Israel. It's the exile of the whole world. And we have been exiled out of the garden. We have been exiled further at Babel. And through Abraham's son and David's son, God is gathering everyone back up together again, ending an exile. Well, in the Bible, ending an exile, there's a word for that. And it's called an exodus. You're exited out of exile into God's presence. So how does Matthew communicate who Jesus is and what he's doing? Well, he does it by using his Bible. And he does it specifically in these opening chapters by telling us the story of the Exodus in the opening chapters. Have you ever seen the story of Exodus in the opening chapters of Matthew's gospel? That's what we're going to look at today. Let me recap the Exodus story for you, for those who are unfamiliar, who, who need a refresher. If you remember, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of those sons was named Joseph. And Joseph, he had a dream that, he would, that his other brothers would bow down to him, and they sold him off into slavery, and he went to Egypt, right? And he had dreams in Egypt. Right? And that's how he rose to prominence. He actually rose to power in Egypt. And during a famine, his family, his brothers, came down with Jacob and they resided in Egypt. But a Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph and he felt threatened by the presence of the Israelites and he had the firstborn sons of Israel killed. If you remember, they were cast into the Nile. Well, God hears the cries of his people, and he calls them out of Egypt. And they pass through the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness of Sinai, and then they come up to the mountain of Sinai, where they meet with God himself. Okay, that's a recap of the Exodus story. Now, with that in our heads, which would have been in the heads of every single Jewish, first century Jewish reader, when they picked up Matthew's gospel and they started reading, they would have seen plain as day what we're about to see in Matthew's gospel. 
All right. So, Matthew 1. We, we've been up to 117 through the genealogy. Now, 118, the familiar story. The birth of Jesus went this way. Mary, Joseph, and the names, Emmanuel. He's God with us. And he is Yeshua, Jesus. And those names, Emmanuel, God with us, and Yeshua, it says in um, verse 21, hey, I want you to name him Yeshua because I will save him. I will save, he will save his people from their sins. Um, Yah is short for Yahweh, and Shua is the Hebrew word for salvation or heal. Okay? Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means. We've anglicized it into Jesus. But in Hebrew, it's two words put together. It's Yahweh's salvation. So this boy will be God with us. And he will be the means by which Yahweh saves the world from their sins. So those are big, big names given to, given to Jesus. So when Matthew knows that Jesus has been named God with us, and when he knows that Jesus is the means by which God is saving and redeeming and delivering, he would think the Exodus story. We have a story of God saving a people. We have a story of God pulling out his people from bondage and bringing them into his presence at his mountain. We already have a story like that. Listen to how Matthew sees and interprets the providential shape of Jesus' early life. Does anybody know what Joseph's dad's name was? You can say it if you know it. Jacob. Joseph's dad's name was Jacob. Hey, that's interesting. Joseph's dad, like in verse 16 of Matthew 1. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Can you think of a story where Jacob, where there's a Jacob who has a son named Joseph? Right? We're already tracking with this story. Already, providentially, Jesus' parents, Jesus' dad and granddad are Joseph and Jacob. Two very familiar names. And that, in the Joseph of the Exodus story, the Joseph of Genesis, he's a dreamer. He encounters God in his dreams. Look in Matthew 1. There's this situation where Mary's pregnant and Joseph's like, I don't know that I can deal with this. And how does God appear to him? In a dream. He appears to him in a dream again in, at the end of um, chapter 2 when he's told to, to go, to, to leave, to leave where, they've, where they've left because Herod is now dead. Okay, so here we have Jacob who had a son named Joseph who's a dreamer. So we're already, I mean, I hope already you're thinking like, okay, let's see how far this goes. This sounds like Genesis. Okay, well, what if I told you there was a king there uh, who arose who wanted to kill the firstborn sons of Israel and felt, felt threatened? Because right here we have Herod who is killing the firstborn sons in Bethlehem because he feels threatened by them. So, Herod is like Pharaoh. So we have Joseph, Jacob, who has a son named Joseph, who dreams, dreams, and encounters God. And then we have the rising up of a king, not Pharaoh, but now actually Herod, 
who's killing the firstborn sons of Israel. So where in the world would you go if you were encountering this and you wanted to save your child, right? Well, where Joseph goes, of all places, he goes to Egypt. Another major place in the Exodus story. And he goes into Egypt and Herod does what he does in all of his wickedness and then he dies. And Joseph dreams another dream. And in this dream, God says to him that that the one who sought the child's life is dead. Which is almost an exact quotation that Moses receives in Midian when he killed the Egyptian and he fled and he meets God at the mountain and he says, hey, go back to Egypt because the one who is seeking to kill you has, has died. It's almost an exact quotation here. So now we have Jacob has a son named Joseph who's a dreamer. A, a king rises up and kills the firstborn sons of Israel. Am I telling the Exodus story or am I telling Jesus' story, right? So you're thinking like, both. Wow, amazing, right? So when they're called out of Egypt, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. Okay, so chapter 2 of Matthew, well, chapter 1 of Matthew, we have Jacob and Joseph. Chapter 2 of Matthew, we have the um, flight down to Egypt, and then he says, when Jesus comes out, he says, out of Egypt I have called my son, quoting the prophet, right? So he's coming out of Egypt. Chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Jesus, is, Jesus passes through the waters of baptism. Okay? So if you're tracking with me, Joseph, Jacob has a son named Joseph who dreams dreams. A king arises who kills the firstborn son of Israel. He comes, they're called out of, of Egypt and they pass through the waters. This is, this is what's happening to Israel is what's happening to Jesus. After they pass through the waters... They go into the wilderness. Wouldn't it be weird if Jesus, after his baptism, went into the wilderness? Which is exactly what happens in chapter 4. Matthew, or Matthew shows us that Jesus was, first verse, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, after the Israelites had a forefather named Jacob and then a forefather named Joseph and then he dreamed dreams and a king arose and sought to kill the firstborn sons of Israel and then they out, went out of Egypt and they went through the waters and into the wilderness. They were called up to the mountain of God, Sinai. Wouldn't it be weird if Jesus, having done that same path, came up to a mountain? Read Matthew 5.1. 1. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Okay, so this meta structure that Matthew is showing us here, okay? So Matthew has told us already that Jesus is the everlasting king, the son of David, who has an everlasting kingdom. He's the son of Abraham, a global everlasting family. He's the means by which all the families of the earth are being drawn back together into God's presence for blessing. And Matthew hears that Jesus is, he is Emmanuel, he's God with us. He is Yeshua, he's the means by which God is saving and redeeming the world. Matthew looks 
Jesus' life. Matthew knows Jesus. Matthew knows the account. Matthew's inspired by the Spirit. Matthew can see the providential shape of Jesus' life. And for the person who is um, very familiar with the Old Testament, especially with the most popular story of the Old Testament, the most defining story of the people of God, the Exodus story, he sees that Jesus is taking on the mantle of Israel itself. Jesus is, the shape of Jesus' life is the shape of God's own redemption of Israel, of his people. And then we have, we have Jesus cast as David. We have him cast as Abraham. He's like Moses. He's the, he's the son who has to flee. He's the son who has to be rescued from Pharaoh. He's going to be the one who leads his people out of slavery, out of bondage, and into God's presence. He is Israel themselves. He is the true Israel. He is the seed of Abraham. He's the one who's bringing all the families of the earth into blessing. And then, but he's God with us, right? He's God with us. So we've got David, not God. Abraham, not God. Moses, not God. Jesus, when he goes to the mountain, he's not Moses anymore. He doesn't go up and receive what God is saying and taking it to the people. He speaks divine wisdom and instruction. He is Yahweh on the mountain. Jesus is Yahweh on the mountain. And in the Exodus narrative, you have these people who were lost and in bondage. They're gathered up, brought through the waters, through the wilderness, to the mountain of God. And then God promises to dwell with them. And so he makes them build a tent where he can go with them. And he can be with them. Do you know that when Jesus says, I am with you and I will never forsake you, he's quoting Leviticus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is Yahweh returned, ending exile. Matthew has crafted this meta structure to his opening chapters to show us who Jesus is and what he's doing. The Exodus is the shape of God's redemption and deliverance. The means by which he calls us out of slavery and into his presence. Of course Matthew would be thinking of the Exodus when he reflects on the providential shape of Jesus's, of Emmanuel's, of Yeshua's life. Let me just go again to the end of Matthew to close out. Jesus, the everlasting king with an everlasting global family, the means by which God is saving the world from their sins. He says after his resurrection, he has this final command and he tells his followers, listen, all authority has been given to me. You would expect that, right? At this point, of course, you're the everlasting king. All authority has on he in heaven and on earth. He's a divine everlasting king has been given to me. So go and gather up the families of the earth. Make disciples of the nations. Teach them to obey me. And then he ends with this Emmanuel promise. I'm with you. I'll always be with you. 
to the, even to the end of the age. So I want us to see this morning that Jesus, how Matthew is communicating who Jesus is. He is looking at Jesus' life. He's listening to Jesus' teachings. And he's saying, I've seen this before. He's the God of the Exodus. You, me, we have been called out of slavery. We've been called out of bondage. We've passed through the waters of baptism. We're headed towards the mountain of God. Led by the Spirit. What Advent anticipation looks like for us is allegiance to King Jesus. And what does King Jesus command? Love. Love God and love your neighbor. Okay? So active anticipation is allegiance to the king of love, the king of glory. Love your neighbor. Love God. Make disciples of the families of the earth. God is good. Let me end there. Let me pray. Father, we, just coming off of this moment of national gratitude, this historic holiday in our country, Father, like most things in the world, it's been hollowed out and is a shell to house our own sentimentalism or greed or whatever. So, Father, your family here, your global family whom you have called out of bondage through the blood of the Lamb, you have called us out through the waters of baptism. You have called us to you. Father, I pray that your spirit would stir up in us an everlasting gratitude as we come off of Thanksgiving, we think about that, and an active allegiance as we anticipate the return of the King during this Advent season. I pray that you would bind us together in those two causes. And I pray that all of our efforts will be wrought by the Spirit ultimately and for your glory and our satisfaction in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.